Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of the Binti Trilogy by Nnedi Okorafor. What a unique and fantastic series of novellas this was. I had a blast reading these. Me too. Yeah, and I really love the presentation. More novella trilogies in my life, please. Yeah, I don't know what it was because, I mean, it was a normal-sized book, but... It just felt easier to read. For It was like watching three episodes of a TV show instead of a, a whole movie, you know? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, it was like, yeah, yeah that, damn, man, you just nailed it. I'm not going to be able to do better than that. <laughs> well, I'll explain that little uh, that little comparison there for anybody that's curious, because like, I always found that like watching movies felt more exhausting than watching like five episodes of TV, which is longer than watching a movie. I think many would agree with you. But I think the reason for that is because with with TV with episodes, if it's a 20 minute episode or 40 minute episode or whatever, you're getting that kind of like that rising action, climax, uh, falling action resolution in, in smaller bites. So it's more exciting and the pacing feels faster. It's like a cosine wave. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, and then with, uh, with movies, it's just like, you gotta, you're just in there for a little bit more of the long haul, uh, narrative wise. So I feel like with these three novellas, you really put some thought into this. I mean, the first novella is like 60 pages, you know? Yeah, it's delightfully short. There, there's zero fat on that novella. It's just, <laughs> but it's funny because there's also so much fat on that novella. <laughs> it's like right? There's, yeah. There's wow. So much to chew on. Yeah. It's so punchy. It reminds me of like the warm up we used to do in Muay Thai, where we call bag against the wall. We have to hit the bag so fast that it stays up against the wall, like at an angle, you know. <laughs> yeah. And no, this book okay. had that sort of approach yeah, to writing. I love that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I also want to say I think Nettie Okorafor is a terrific writer. She's efficient but explorative. Uh, she's imaginative without being unbelievable. Or well, there was like two unbelievable things we'll talk about later. Uh, but that wasn't like because of her writing style. It was just things that she decided to do, which I was like, okay. <laughs> It's kind of weird, uh, but her prose is sharp as hell. It's never boring. Like I just really like the way that she writes. It just flows so well. It really does, and it it fits. It, like so few of her ideas are rejected. I feel like like she's a very yeah. much like live and let write sort of author. She's just like throwing it out there. She's like, and the living fish, they're living in their lungs yeah. or whatever. And she just like says yes and keeps going. It felt real though. It's so weird. It felt how, right, like, real and right. It, not even yeah. Real isn't the right word. It felt. It just felt like legit. Like it's just like when I heard something, I was like, sure, that should be here. Like that's sure. uh, yeah, it was the, weird. The giant fish ship. That's totally fine. Uh, but then also, and we'll talk about this a little bit after the recap, I'm sure. Uh, there were just a couple of things where I was like, I'm happy this is here. Could you say some more things about it? Like, it'd be yeah, <laughs> the world building decisions were a little like questionable sometimes because I'd be like, wow, we really know nothing about this. And I've got some like major plot points where it seems like there should have been like something having more should have happened here. Some consequences should have happened. But like, nope, we're just not even going to like talk about that. I don't know. I've got some questions that I'm excited to get into. You want to hit the uh, summary and get get into this? Absolutely. Cool. And so everyone knows we're reading and reviewing all the whole series right now, not just the first book like we typically do when we're reviewing books just one at a time or like Malazan, break it up into little ones. Uh, just one episode for all three. I do want to say real quick, there is a short story in the omnibus edition of Binti that Chad and I both did not read just because we wanted to we wanted to like save it. Uh, for another episode maybe but then also there's yeah, pure canon <laughs> but then also like there are people that have did not read that short story so we didn't want to like spoil a short story for you so if you only read the three binti novellas because that's how you read them as they came out which i think is like most people when i looked at reviews on goodreads 
most of the reviews were for the individual novellas and i think that the omnibus had come out a little bit later but that's what chad and i read and when that omnibus came out there was a short story so chad and i elected to skip the short story so we wouldn't have like a tainted spoilery yeah we're bendy purists if you do if you do want to go back and read that <laughs> short story though it's available uh probably I don't, i'm sure you could find it uh where you wouldn't have to buy the omnibus but anyway let's do the recap i think it's a little bit of like it talks about her time at the school a little bit more yeah it does it's funny when you ever like read stuff like that because it's always like the author's at a different point in their life and so they're always a little more relaxed and like <laughs> weird that all this stuff is like happening in the story around it and there's kind of this little like slice of life moment you know I still want to read that new, um, it's not new now, geez, it's been out for a little while, but the, the Jade Setter of, of Jan Loon. Oh yeah, me too. That, that Fonda Leash, so we should read that for the podcast. Anyway, Dude, we recap. should. We got to do the Fonda recap. Lee. Okay, let's do, do the recap. recap dun, 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 dun. So we can talk about other stuff after the recap. Let's do that. Okay, let's go. Binti, The Complete Trilogy is a series of science fiction novellas written by Nettie Akorafor. Binti has won multiple prestigious literary awards, including the 2016 Hugo Award, the 2015 Nebula Award, and the 2016 British Fantasy Award for Best Novella. The 2019 Omnibus publication includes the three novellas, Binti, Binti Home, and Binti the Night Masquerade, as well as the bonus inclusion of the debut short story Binti Sacred Fire, which we are not covering on this podcast as discussed. Binti, the first novella, introduces the reader to the protagonist of the series. Binti is a young woman of an ethnic group on Earth named the Himba. The Himba are a traditional group and rarely stray from home. They pride themselves on their cutting-edge technology manufacturing, especially as it pertains to the somewhat mysterious but seeming future requirement for every living being to have one device that Binti's father makes called an astrolave. Its purposes are many and are almost a part of each individual so widespread their use, but it is never explicitly stated to the reader its exact functions. I think it's safe to say it is a device that records not only the lives of the wearer, but every action and decision. In addition to that, it has the ability to plot out future happenstance, perhaps, and inform the user of a myriad of helpful information about past, present, and even a little future events, which could be a guide and a companion of sorts. Not quite alive, but more an organ of the user. Its contents are intimate and detailed, so much so that more secluded peoples, such as the Himba, consider it rude to allow it to be scanned for identification purposes, as is the norm throughout the rest of the universe. Binti turns her family on its head when she leaves one morning, informing no one of her plans, but having planted enough seeds that they will surely figure it out soon, she leaves to attend a college and be the first of her people to do so. This college, however, is on another world, and that is something that good, respectable maidens of the Himba people do not do. They should stay at home and not go on adventures to far-off places. Well, not unless they want to bring contempt from the tight-knit village and its elders upon their home and shame to her father, mother, and future husband, should she be so lucky as to acquire one after being so brash. Knowledge, ever the downfall of the intelligent, is something she can't not seek and simply must attend the renowned intergalactic academic institution of Umza University. When she first discovered that the university had accepted her, she could hardly believe she made the cut, always being spoken down to by the Kush peoples and other races. Though filled with trepidation, she successfully runs away from home and boards a ship headed for Umza without alerting her friends or family. 
This ship is alive, and is some advanced species of fish that learned to swim in space. People can fit inside her breathing parts, and she acts like a typical ship with doors and a pilot and otherwise non-fishy ship-type features. Despite the prejudice she faces from another ethnic group, known as the Kush, while on board the ship, Binti finds kinship amongst many academics and scholars. Surprised, she has so much more in common than she does differently from the other math-loving, soon-to-be students. She makes friends, even finds a crush. Then without notice, one day in the cafeteria while staring dreamily at her crush, her gaze turns to horror as he and every other human in the room get exploded and splattered as the Medusa attack the living ship, though I believe they treated the ship with respect while slaughtering the 500 mostly human children. The Medusa are a jellyfish-like alien race that is known for their aggression and warmongering tendencies. The Medusa and the Kush have been at war for years, and Binti quickly learns the Medusa killed everyone on board the ship except for her and the pilot. Binti, however, was saved by her Eden, an ancient artifact she discovered buried in the desert sands around her home when she was just a child. Not only does it evaporate an aggressive Medusa when it approaches her, it also allows her to communicate with them. Binti realizes that her ojitsu, mixed clay that the women of her people apply to their body and hair, can heal the Medusa. Binti manages to convince a young Medusa named Akwu that she would be able to broker a truce between the Kush scholars at Umza and the Medusa. Binti is taken to the chief of the Medusa, and the chief reveals that Kush scholars stole its stinger and exhibited it at the Umza Museum without consent. A big cultural no-no for the Medusa. Before agreeing to Binti's plan to try talking first, a Medusa stings Binti and she loses consciousness. The Medusa leader knew if she was not truly being their spokesperson on her own volition, the peace would have no chance. So after she wakes up from the stinger strike, she can now communicate with them without her Edan. Upon their arrival at the university, Binti brokers peace between the Kush and the Medusa. No problem. The stinger is returned to the chief of the Medusa, and Akwu joins Binti at the school as a student, also the first of his people to attend. Binti realizes that her hair has become a mass of tentacles. She is now part Medusa. Binti Home, the second book in the series, paints us a picture of Umza University and Binti's integration into it. She is experiencing many new things, new knowledge, friends, and teachers. Binti has settled into her life at Umza, and though she misses her family, and is regularly plagued by memories of new friends and a crush exploding all about her, she has a few friends. Though, due to her many and large cultural differences, she can't help but feel alienated by the other students. Binti has become close friends with Akwu, and is able to feel his emotions from the opposite side of the campus. She also has begun experiencing episodes of unsourced but intense rage that interrupt her mathematical meditations and generally make her uncomfortable and nervous should one hit her at the wrong time. After a term of studies pass at Umza University, Binti wishes to return home to Earth to complete a traditional rite of passage for the women of her people. Binti believes that she is unclean, that the Medusa have tainted her somehow. Her once hair... Now, Medusa Octo arms certainly don't help her feelings of being different from fellow students and now even home as she no longer feels fully human either. Binti resolves to return home so that she may complete her pilgrimage and hopefully cleanse herself of the random bouts of fury she has begun to feel. Hopes of being forgiven by family and friends high, Binti brings Akwu with her as a sign of a newly found peace between the Kush and the Medusa. 
When both return to Binti's home, Kush's soldiers, the press, and Binti's family greet them. When Aqua is first seen exiting the craft, the Kush soldiers present lose their marbles, and Binti talks them down, but once again, Binti is able to broker peace between them. After narrowly sidestepping the start of another war, Binti now must reckon with her family's disapproval of her departure. Even Binti's childhood best friend, Dili, no longer wants anything to do with her. Most of her people seem to blame her for their community's misfortune and further involvement with the outside world. Binti sees the Night Masquerade, a creature of legend in her community, that supposedly shows itself only to deserving Himba men. The evening she sees the Night Masquerade, the Desert People, whom the Himba look down upon as savages for their darker skin and primitive ways, arrive to take Binti away. The Desert People, rightfully known as Enyi Zeniraya, are a highly advanced civilization that had encountered an alien species named the Zeniraya that gave them microbes that allowed for the community to communicate long distances with their mind and have access to these implant technology that the aliens gave them. Binti is part Enyi Zeniraya, on her father's side, and she struggles with her people's deeply held prejudice about the Desert People always seeing them as inferior savages, whose jerky hand movements are due to a muscle disease, not knowing that they are actually much more advanced than the rest of humanity, and have been for many thousands of years, having been given this technology from alien visitors thousands of years before. Their jerky hand movements are actually the desert people controlling a virtual control module that allows them to interact with their implants and the alien technology inside of them. She decides that she too will awaken the microbes inside of her and receive the same techno gift from their alien forefathers. Her father reacts harshly to this as she is now able to communicate over great distances with him using the alien tech. His disapproval is high when he learns of her decision. Throughout her journey, Binti befriends Mwinyi, a member of the Enyi Zeniraya and another master harmonizer. Binti is figuring out her place in the world as a Himba, Meduse, and Enyi Zeniraya hybrid when she feels Aku's distress. The Kush have attacked Aku in Binti's childhood home. She hurries towards her burning home and has it on good account that her family is most likely perished, all of them burnt to death by the Kush. In the third and final installment of the trilogy, Binti the Night Masquerade, Binti negotiates a peace between the elders of her Himba community, the Kush General, and the Chief of the Meduse. As a master harmonizer, Binti calls upon the old Himba culture, one of peacemaking, to settle the argument. The Himba elders have forsaken Binti and choose to hide, instead of helping her to broker peace. Dili, her old friend, and already an apprentice to the Chief, disagrees with the elders' decision. He steals the Night Masquerade costume and appears to Binti to encourage her. Binti learns that the Night Masquerade is composed of a secret council of individuals who decide who is worthy of seeing it. Binti manages to summon old culture, and in peace both the Kush and the Meduse prepare to depart. Then shots are fired and someone shoots Binti. She loses an arm and both of her legs and Binti dies. Her family mourns her. And the Kush and the Meduse wage war in space above them. Binti's family members are still alive because the undying tree that their home was built upon saved them. They prepare Binti's body, and Akwu and Muwinyi prepare to bring her to the rings of Saturn. The last time Binti had found the ball of mysterious metal in her Edan, she had a vision of voices speaking to her in the rings of Saturn. Okwu and Muwinyi feel this is the best spot to deliver her corpse. The living ship, Third Fish, has given birth. Her daughter, Newfish, flies Aku, Mawinyi, and Bindi's body to Saturn. 
After a few days in Newfish's breathing room, both Mawinyi and Akwu discover that Binti has been resurrected. They discover that all the microbes that were strong in Newfish due to its recent birth have healed her. Binti, once again, is forced into a position of losing another piece of her humanity, but has gained a new connection with Newfish. She cannot be further than five miles away from her, but Binti, however, is able to inhabit Newfish's body and can thus fly in space without a spacesuit. When they arrive in the rings of Saturn, Binti speaks to an alien race who have summoned her to simply ask for a recommendation. They want to know how she likes Umza University. Binti tells them how much she admires Umza University, and they return to the school. Binti waits to tell her family that she is alive. She goes to the doctor and discovers that she will likely pass on her tentacle hair to her children, and that they will also probably be connected to Newfish. All the different parts of herself overcome Binti, and she is conflicted. She has to accept the Enyizeniraya, the desert people, and her people's prejudices toward them. The Medus, who now is a part of her, Newfish, who she is now forever connected to, and the scant pieces of her original self all conflicting with each other. Mawinyi comforts her, and Binti kisses him. The trilogy ends with a group of Binti's friends, including Akwu, Mawinyi, Newfish, and her classmates going to sightsee around Umza University. Okay, so uh, yeah, I think that I liked the second one the most, and then I liked the first one the second most, and I liked the third one the, the third most. I am 100% the same. Oh, really? Oh, wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, two, three, one, or two, one, three. I think I probably would have liked the first one the most if it had been a, like as long as the second one, but I think the second one just everything got to breathe a little bit more, and I just, I liked the direction that the book went. I liked the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger was really cool. Uh, it was just like, oh, no, we, we got to go back. The first <laughs> like, one was oh, so my God. sudden. Yeah, it was very sudden. Um, but yeah, but let's, uh, let's talk. I've got a few notes here that I just want to go over real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, fire away. Uh, first of all, the astrolabe, or astrolabe, uh, that was really awesome. I thought that was really neat. Uh, it was cool how the Himba's uh, tribe, like, and especially Binti's father, uh, seemed to have a, a special kind of like gift for getting these things put together. They're very important things. I liked how they kind of served as a cell phone, but also it's like an, a way to identify yourself. And it also has like okay. a whole history of your family. And like, was yeah. that wrong? Like the future of your family too? No, and like, yeah, you know, many... that's right. The many different like branching. I feel like when Nettie Corfor was it writing, it tries this, to predict was, the future and give you like real good that advice. That was such an interesting addition to it. <laughs> like, like it's not just like this utility. It like predicts stuff. Not predicts. Predicts isn't the right word. It like lays out. It advises. Of, yeah, sure. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too. Like that was a bit of world building that I was a little confused initially on the decisions yeah. around it because it's never said to the user this is what this item does or even like how it does it we just kind of like see its functions and have to deduce what its purpose is based off what we see it doing but yeah i kind of think that it acts as like the id card for the rest of the universe and as it records like everything you've ever done ever and also can like mathematically predict future events but i think it incorporates like who you are as like a person, like you're a happy too. person. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, because it seems like each one's made custom or can be to the user. I, it, I, it made me think, why aren't we using our phones as identification devices? Like, right, like, why do I have to have like my driver's license as like a little card 
Like, I mean, I like actually, yeah, die, I guess, I guess I know the reason for that too. Also is like, I guess a driver's license on your phone and like an app could be like compromised a lot easier than like the actual piece of plastic, but like that could be fixed. I don't know. I mean, only, only piece of plastic is not compromised because it's got like a barcode on there. They can just put the barcodes on the, but, but what I'm saying is like, I'm not like necessarily thing. advocating that we have to get there. I'm just, I'm surprised that like a, a genuine effort for some kind of like identification system with our phones on like a, in the same way that like a driver's license or a passport is. Just yeah, like, like your airplane but, ticket. I mean, you can do that with air with airplane tickets. Style, totally, like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, I, th- I was like, dude, when's the last time you're on a plane? Like 2011. Yeah, no, you can't though, dude. <laughs> I've never done that because I one time, I've seen this twice in my travels. I used to travel a lot for work and twice I've seen people's phones die at the very yeah. moment. Yeah. And like yeah. the amount of thing through when I just can just hand them and print it out at the gate. Like, no, nah, I'm doing that. Let's go to the beginning of this whole story real quick because I really enjoyed how... You know, in the beginning of this book, when I first started, it, I was like, oh, we're in pretty familiar territory here. I mean, we've got this smart, kind of unique person who is against her family's best wishes, going to this prestigious school to go Destined learn more. more. Like, and I was just like, oh, I'm right where I want to be here. This is great. Uh, so totally. she gets on the ship. The ship's a little weird, but I really like how weird Huggy it is. Dory as and, hell. Then, and then there's like this cool, like she's, oh, well, does she like somebody? Like maybe there's like a, and then she makes right, like i'm friends. different but i'm also like so much more like the other people around me like crazy cultural walls coming down and all these up but but the cultural walls are still up there too so that she's got to like totally cont- they're not there. With those. and i was like wow i can totally see where this is going and then weird jellyfish things come in and murder everybody and Dude, i was like just explode oh, okay like i was just like this is yeah okay this is uh this you have my you had my interest before but now you have my attention you know Dude, is that what the line go is to like i can't remember Jam. Oh, maybe. Well, you had my. It's from Django. Inter- yeah. Now you have my attention. Yeah, you have my yeah. interest. Now you have my attention. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was like everything was so hunky dory and just kind of like going all right. Yeah. And like things were going pretty well, and then all of a sudden, just bam, death. The way that Nettie Okorafor wrote it out too, it was like this circle of red, and then like and then blood all over her. You know what it I mean? Was it was graphic. Yeah, it was super graphic and just it was almost like. Okorafor knew how intense that scene was going to be for the reader. And also, another cool thing to talk about here, I think, would be how traumatic it was going to be for Binti, because then Binti, for the rest of this series, had some pretty intense PTSD and like trauma issues. Like, she's having a lot of trouble with this. As she should. I wanted to shout it out because, like, I really appreciate when authors do that like when when they can when something really horrible happens and then they have a certain consistency of that character dealing with that i think another author that did a really good job with that is sarah j moss in the uh, akatar series that was really cool too uh, especially uh, court of mist and fury the second book i just really like it when authors do that because it's like kind of a it's like a nice nod that like no i didn't just do that to play with your emotions and then uh, and then i don't want to put in the effort of like how it because it, it, it can be kind of like inconvenient to your story if your character has to deal with stuff that you did before emotional you know trauma I mean? and it's yeah, really cool typically to see they start them, out like, with care. horrific things sure but like what, what i'm so saying I'm with is, you yeah yeah I, I just like seeing it i like seeing the kind of like commitment to the character there like that's the kind of realism that i'm usually looking for in books you know what i mean like that's the kind of totally. thing that i would notice if it wasn't if if binti had seen wasn't it like a hundred people or something like that? Like it was, was five hundred. Like, it was five hundred there on it, that ship. Five hundred. Yeah. Most of them chill. The way that I was seeing it in my head was like she's in like a cafeteria, basically, like a yep. crowded room, and then everyone is murdered in a Just bloody in horrible seconds. way. Yeah. So that wouldn't 
you that would stick with you for for a little while i'm sure totally it's like fully on I, I hear what you're saying because it's like fully unrealistic to think like the farm hand who's been like on the farm all day and then just like family gets slaughtered and is exposed to the series of like super super horrific events involving lots of death some that he partakes in or she partakes in uh and then they're like never kind of traumatized by it like that's a reoccurring thing in fantasy novels and i'm like really not even really? gonna have any bad dreams huh okay, <laughs> okay. you're just super just cool super tough that's yeah. awesome yeah i really liked how this story doesn't mess around like it just gets going fast like we don't even like get to meet her family she like kind of talks about him as she's like getting the airlift thing to work and she's like yeah. oh is it gonna work for him yep we're out of here and then just like everyone dies seconds later like, page four it's a really good example of knowing where to start your story in the story, you know, because yeah. I think that um, a a more boring way to have done this would be for Binti to have like some kind of discussion with her dad or like, you know, and not that that would have yeah. been bad, but it's just like it would. There's a certain kind of like momentum that's being built up with her, with you, the reader, knowing that she's running away from home. Like, that's good. That's good stuff right there. That's how we want to start this. And that momentum carries through into the third book, which. Uh, I know we're jumping around quite a bit so here, but like, the third book was very weird. Like, I don't think it was so bad weird. by any means. I think that there were just a couple parts of it. Um, mostly for me, it was just Binti dying and then... I don't like, like it when characters die and come back. It's happened in a lot of books that we've read, I feel like. And it's just like... Yeah. It's, I feel like it's it a cop out every out. time. It's like I know, and it sucks. Cause I was just writing. talking about how like I really liked how Nettie Okorafor like, committed to this moment. And then it's like, ah. But also... I commit got, to that moment. I've got a note right here, though. I mean, like the way that Binti was resurrected was like pretty cool, at least. You know what I mean? It made sense. And it was cool that like because she, she saved Akwu right by having some sort of magic power with the Ochitse, and then like New Fish saved her, and they were all in the same like fishy environment the whole time. So it was like a lot of like circles, things coming full circle. Like, yeah, it was a nice period on the save each other sentence, but whatever. Like it didn't it feel as ham fisted as it probably could have, or as 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 I've seen it before. Yeah, but like there the, is the always Potter. just that kind of like, oh well. Then why are you why are you playing with me right now? You know, but I don't know. Right, if that right. was, I don't think that was. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I just don't think that was Nettie Okorafor's like in, intention was to like mess with people's emotions. I think it was just like that was a a part of the story. Yeah, I do like kind of dislike losing the faith in my author though that like sure. dead yeah. isn't dead. You know, and like her family, the same thing. They were dead. They were dead for sure, and then they weren't dead. And it was like, okay, now I can't I was trust you. Just about though. to say that, yeah. <laughs> they were like locked away in this like cool safe place, but like she's yeah, like, just, like Aku dies, to like he's probably not dead. Aku kind of died too because he disappeared from her for a while. Then he comes splashing yeah. out of the lake that we all knew that's where he was hiding. Because <laughs> and it's crazy that like yeah. like it makes sense that his people like worship water because of their octo people, but like but there's no water they on the planet, any. yeah, at all. Yeah, but that's why like, they I think worship they it. Used it all up. It makes sense that they would worship it, though. Totally. Uh, you don't have any of it at all, and you know how important it is. Most of the books, I kind of thought that he was walking behind her just on, like, tentacle arms, but I actually think oh, he, really? was he was floating. Can floating. Yeah. Or deny I think, that? It, yeah, I think okay. he was floating. I think he just... I think he was I, floating, too. But there, I think the reason that you might got you might have gotten that is because there are, like, a couple instances of in the writing where it says that their tentacles kind of, like, drag on the floor or, are like, they're, like, yeah. on the floor. So, yeah, speaking of some other things that I just kind of was, like... I feel like with, with this series, you just have to kind of go along with some stuff and it never really bothered me that much but it, i think i just kind of i think i just wanted more but it's funny because i don't think that like this story being a 900 page trilogy 
would make it better. It's interesting. Like I don't think so either. I really don't. But it's but I still wanted more. So maybe that's like exactly where we want to be, where we do want more. Totally. You feel fulfilled, but still a little wanting. I think that's a pretty good aim for an author to like leave you with, you know? Yeah, maybe it's a it's a consequence of like our expectations as readers for like exactly how informed we're supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, like uh, a good example is like the the Kush and uh, Medus um, conflict. I felt like it was just kind of like this thing that was just I. <sighs> And I'm fine with it. Literally, no one remembered why it started. I, I don't think that it's, uh, and and that's a cool point. You know what I mean? That that, but I just wanted some more history on it, and just like some more kind of like uh, stuff to chew on about it. But it's also yeah, like same. it's not like the most important thing to the story. It's a very important thing to the story, but it's not like the focus really of the story. Like Binti dealing right. with it is the focus of the story. Totally, you know, but we're not. And reading there's some a... major themes which we'll get into in a little bit. Well, one of the themes I wanted to kind of mention real quick, and I I don't know if I'm like totally off base here, but it seems like culture was a really big thing here, and not just not not just culture, but not not just culture, but the like whether or not like where's the line? Like where's the line where like your your own culture is holding you back from not necessarily just progressing, but but you know sometimes the things that you want to do might not be totally in line with like what your peers and what your uh, community like is comfortable with. And that's important. Like what your peers and community are comfortable with is very important. But like, I think that this book is really cool because it kind of like, like Binti is just kind of like tossed up a lot, you know, even in the first book, like she's not, she's not ditching her culture. She actually really, really likes her culture a lot. Um, She loves it. And she feels oh, she very, takes it with her everywhere. She's, yeah, she's dedicated. She, she's, she's stressed out when she can't get more of it. That totally makes sense. It, it was really interesting to see somebody that was just kind of like so bent out of shape about like, it, and I don't mean sad. I just mean like she felt like she just didn't really know which direction to go. And it was just causing her a lot of grief. And that's just an interesting question to ask yourself. Like, like at what point do I have to be okay with going past certain societal norms where I know that my peers and my community are going to be upset with me, but this is the thing that I know I want to do. Like, does that mean you shouldn't do that thing? Or does that mean you should, but you should like maybe take a little bit of, uh, that, (laughs) of that, of that expectation with you and like try to live up to some of it. Like it's a, it's a weird spot to be in. Dude, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of what I was alluding to just before when I said some major themes, which oh, was... Cool. Okay, cool, cool, cool. We're on the same page. Exactly this this thing, which is culture. And and yet we have this like dichotomy of culture. So she's like, culture is a powerful thing. She's like really tied into the Ojitsu still in her hair. I hope I'm saying that right. She self-identifies with her culture, family, traditions, super hard. But then at the same time, when she is uh, on the ship, she quickly learns that like, oh, all these other students were much, we have much more in common than we are different. And so like cultural walls break. So like culture is kind of bad. And then we go back to the school and she's like still maintaining her culture and her family roots are important. So like culture good again, I, I guess. And she goes back to her people to do like the woman's passage thing. Cause that's still really important to her though. She's kind of like seeming to be breaking down some of the 
like misgivings of her people in her mind. And so she's like, oh, family, obviously this feels right. This is important to me. So culture good. And then the desert people come and she goes off with them and then learns about the cultural differences that were separating her people oh. and actually like the misgivings that her people had. That she thought that, that she yeah, they even, thought that the desert people real. were savages. Totally. But the savages, the savages, quote unquote, were actually far more advanced than everybody else. And like what they thought is like the muscle deterioration thing was actually them like operating an advanced alien technology module. So like culture bad, I guess. And then we go back to her. Then she like summons up the deep earth or deep tradition or whatever, which I thought was kind of lame and like saves the day momentarily by making peace happen because she calls forth this thing. So I guess culture good again. And then it's like we just keep going back and forth as like examples. And I'm not sure what point Nettie Korfor is making. Maybe each is good in small amounts. I mean, uh, maybe I, I think that the whole point of the book is is just to explore it. I don't know if the I don't know if a core four is necessarily being prescriptive Ooh, okay. here. I think I think sure. maybe it's more just expressive than anything. Descriptive, or just, yeah. Descriptive oh wow, that's expressive. a good. Thank you for that. Like I don't know, I don't know necessarily. I mean, if there is, then maybe I didn't get it. But I think you're right. You just nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Um, I mean, because ultimately at the end, uh, Binti does end up uh, like her going to the school and kind of she stays true to herself in the sense that. Um, most of the resolutions that she's looking for are peaceful when in fact like even her dad had said something like yeah i'm not into war but if something has started with me then like i will do it and like totally binti respects her dad but she still doesn't like that's not the the course we're going on in this book which i think is a really cool thing about these books as well is that that's another subversion that we're looking at here where it's like no this isn't solved because the right person was murdered you know like that's not what the these books are about with regard to the question you're asking about culture, I think that, I mean, a lot of the series, it's not about ditching or not loving the the people that you grew up with. And because I think that a lot of these kinds of stories of these kind of there and back again stories, these kind of like hero's journey stories, is kind of like discovering the wider world and realizing how small your community really was, like both in totally. mind and in body, you know, but like, I don't think that's what this story was. I think this story was... It's not saying that it's not important. Exactly. And, and I mean, like, dude, like, I mean, where you came from is incredibly important. And not to mention totally. like, the traditions that you have. Like, I'm not even much of a traditionalist myself, but I do think that some things do have their place. And like, the, you do become the person that you are. Like, Nettie... Or not Nettie. I, I'm getting Nettie and Binti mixed up. But like, Binti... Similar. Binti wouldn't have, if you think about it, Binti wouldn't have been the person that would have left home without the culture that she had, you know, and it's, it's okay. very ironic. There's like a certain really beautiful totally. irony there that like, because of the kinds of people that the himbo were, uh, before she left and like the things that she had learned from her, from her dad, even though that they had put certain expectations on her, you know, uh, that culture is exceedingly important uh, and it shapes a lot of the decisions that she makes, but it also, she makes a lot of decisions in spite of that culture too. So I think it's all just like a totally. big, it's all just a big juggling thing. And th that's what it feels like sometimes with everything. I mean, anything that you do in life, you have people that are going to think differently of you if you totally do those things you know it's hard to contend with i guess the, the culture is is fine as long as you don't like wield it like a weapon and allow it to cut you off from the rest of the world as long as you're still like open-minded to the other things out there then it's a fine thing to carry with you you know i think it's cool that she never not puts feels naked without the ochitze in her hair you know she's always doing that till the very end of the book making her own um and in fact you know that part of for her culture allowed her to heal aku and like 
be able to make her case to the tribal leaders and stuff. So like parts of her culture really helped her out at, at parts of the story and other parts that really pampered her. So I really like your commentary about how it was like descriptive, not prescriptive, you know, like it's not sure. saying what is the right way. It's just saying this is the way it is. And it's something to be aware of. And the more we can shed light on something, then the better we can navigate those like really tricky and subtle sort of issues, you know? Yeah. And I mean, she ends up where she wanted to be. You know, so it's not like yeah. she I don't even think it's like a culture good culture bad thing. I think it's just like, you know, uh, it's 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 a nuanced thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I used to, I mean, I, I used to be of the belief that like this is when I was younger and, and hadn't hadn't read as much. <laughs> so it's just if you think that this is ignorant, it's because it was. But like I used to think that like everybody in the entire world should just speak the same language, you know, and it's just kind of like a. Because in my mind, I was like, if everybody spoke the same language, we'd have like no communication issues, which is stupid, Evan. Like, he's, people have communication issues all the time. They speak the same language. Like, it's, it's a silly yeah, thing to think. How many relationships have you? Do you are you not in right now? You know? <laughs> so many. <laughs> uh, but like, main, like language is a big part of culture. It's a big part of like how people identify, and those kinds of things are important. You know, uh, can totally. they be destructive? Ab absolutely, a hundred thousand percent. They and they have been. Can they a lot separate like, you from the rest of everything? Totally. Yeah, and, but like. And, and can they get like radicalized? You know what I mean? Can they yeah. can it get out of out of whack and people start misinterpreting Continue things? Ignorance. And, oh yeah, like and and I think that uh, that's uh, something to keep in mind for sure. Um, I think that this book really does like a really good job at expressing all that in like three hundred some odd pages. It's really cool. I do too. Now that you kind of gave me the descriptive over prescriptive way of looking at it, that framework that that really helped me. Though you know who has totally not innocent in all of this is her dad like her dad knows the desert people are not savages being one of them and still yeah. allows everyone else to think that they are like he tells her he was the one that told her like they have a muscle con condition yeah, like I how come really he hated know. his family so much and went and joined the people who were less really tech get a clear picture of that either yeah like what who is this guy that know. was weird Maybe and also like really while we're her mom <laughs> Yeah, uh, while we're talking about incongruencies within the story, like the Medusa people slaughtered 500 children, mostly children, and suffered and then zero consequences. No consequences. They get their stinger back. I thought back. that was they, really they get their weird. stinger back and a pupil at the school. Like what? So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go way out on a limb here. I was pissed, kind of. I, I was a pretty. I thought that was kind of. <laughs> I was silly. like, are you kidding me, dude? I He's, think maybe he slaughtered 500 kids. Maybe this is a sort of idealized situation. Maybe sure. That was like my that was like my kind of like let's think about this. Why would this happen? Why would she write it like this? Nadia Corfor is not stupid. Like what's 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 going on here? You know what I mean? And I think maybe like it was one of those kind of like wouldn't it be interesting if we were able to let this kind of thing go? You know what I mean? Like yeah. like what if what if we could let this kind of people thing just go? understood like they were provoked though Oof, it still does not it, like explain it away. It's a difficult conversation to have. Yes, it is. I mean, you know, someone was displaying one of his parts on a museum. That's kind of offensive. It's really bad. Sure. It's really messed he's still up. Alive. But does that mean five hundred people need to die? No, no. certainly not. Uh, but to them it did and like so there's like this I'm not justifying it, but it's just like that part of the book it's a I weird was definitely I was like, wow. Uh Okay, did I miss something like, here? Like, and she like never has a conversation with Oku about it. But like, think about once. this though. Think about think about this though, Chad. Let me just lay this on you, bro. Quick. If someone splattered you all over me, I would not be bunking bunk mates with what I'm the saying, ten tentacle though, freak that slaughtered know, you, bro. <laughs> I know. But like, think of. Let me just lay this on you real quick, though. 
Okay, Isn't okay. it interesting that both you and I's knee-jerk reaction to that situation was that somebody needed to be punished? And so, like, maybe... Yeah, because uh, evil wasn't... <laughs> I know that we're right, but, like, I'm just... Uh, I know. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but it's not that deep. Like, but, yeah, but, fucking but, but, like, but, like, I think that that, that might have been... And I could have... I don't even know, but, like, I might I mean, be reading, you know, like, way too much to into said... this. Maybe it was a, it no, was an no, intentional you're... subversion to make a point. You know what I mean? That yeah, you would and, get and also that, you know? a subtle commentary about like, look at how many times they were so close to war. Like how many people yeah. would have died if we did punish them back, right? Like I'm not saying that that it wasn't even really the right move. It, it like like politically maybe. Like obviously uh, actions have consequences and like sure, I would be the first yeah, one to be yeah. like guns up, mother, you know, but like I do kind of get this the subtle commentary of like, yes, but like and so how many more need to die? Death begins, you know, death we just, we, we have the yeah. out. We can fix this problem. It was an understanding. And yeah, but like, man, to, that would just be a real, I kept thinking of like when she said she talked to like her crush's family, like that must've been so hard. Cause like it's a hard yeah, pill to swallow to be like, seriously. Hey, just like live and let live. We're sorry that your son had to be the sacrifice for our peace, but uh, millions will be saved if we just do nothing in this situation. It was kind of a misunderstanding, even though it was a grisly horrific one. You know, in my time reading A Song of Ice and Fire and watching Game of Thrones multiple times, one thing that always kind of irks me about the book series and the show both is that there's always a point where, uh, and I'm not saying this is like a cop-out for George R. R. Martin or anything, I think that this actually just is how some people do, but like, I, I, I noticed that a lot of times it was like, well, we're going to do this really horrific thing because it's the, it, because they like shat on our honor you know what i mean or like they they did this thing like totally. 200 years ago so it's yeah, it's about, it's about mother, death, yeah and like <laughs> there were so many moments in in when i was reading those books and watching the show where i was like man if one of these parties was just super fucking cool about something a lot less people would die you know what i mean like and, yep. and that's the thing and i think that kind of to your point that you were just making it's like and i think that this this is a thing that's explored in um, red rising a, a part in lightbringer that i just read it's just the death begets death begets death thing begets it's death. like yeah this, totally this cycle bad news and it just keeps going um and it'll never ever stop uh, until one party is like all right we gotta be the we gotta take the high road here you know but totally it's really hard to take the high road you know i mean like especially if, yeah. if your family and friends have been killed like obviously like, there'd be such a a naive thing to like try to say would be the thing everyone has to do right like if my older brother was on that ship would i grow up as like a medusa killing terrorist like probably but let me let me ask you though <laughs> like if if someone if somebody killed your brother then a, an oracle came to you and said okay i know that you're mad but when you if you take it, revenge it's gonna it's gonna kick start a, it's gonna be the catalyst that kills 10,000 people. I mean, like, I would like, like to be able to say, I'd be like, okay, we're going <laughs> to work on brother, forgiveness right? and like meditate a bunch. And, but like, man, I don't know. That would be, there would be some rage to be dealt with, which was kind of even maybe so upset. Yeah. Woven into the story in the form of like the unsourced, I guess now Medusa part of her fueled rage fits that she kept experiencing. Which sure. Was a interesting. Yeah. I thought that was really cool too. And I guess the Medusa are just like really angry people. Is that what that was telling us? <laughs> No, because I mean, like I, I, it was like told to her that her tentacle was like that was just her getting to know her Medusa side, but her Medusa side seemed only pissed. I think it was a Medusa side that she hadn't experienced before, but I mean, I don't think that they would like Aku wasn't always mad, so it seemed weird, kind of. No, he seemed pretty chill actually for a lot of the a lot yeah, of what was going super on. Super chill. I have another question here. We can move on from from that topic. 
I don't want to give you hypotheticals about your brother dying all night. So <laughs> yeah, that got sad. I had you exploded over me at one point Thank during the conversation. I'm sorry. I know. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, let's let's let's, let's uh, move on. So uh, okay. I want to ask: Do you think Binti was too special? And let me just say a couple <laughs> things real quick. So I think I think this is. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so don't. like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so, I know I had such oh, a like funny. an intellectual like uh, tone to that question, and you just oh, like, that was yes. great. Okay, so um, I just want to say though, I, this this book, I don't know if it's YA, but it felt a little YA. It I mean, felt the, a little YA. Um, so, and I wouldn't say it was like juvenile or anything, but it just felt a little YA. And I think that like one thing that I've noticed from reading a decent amount of YA, not a ton of it, but a decent amount, is that there is a tendency to kind of just like spotlight your main character, like a lot, you know, like put, put them like yeah. really right at the center of like everything. That's cool. I get it. It's um whatever. It's just a thing um, sometimes. But with this book in yeah, particular, like, I felt like Binti really was just kind of like, dude, like, harmonizer, daddy's favorite village elect. Yeah, like, and she's yeah, like, gets like, it going to the thing. And she's the only one who lives. Then she's like, pardon the deuce. Then she brokers a peace treaty. No problem. Like, it was just like, okay, we get, oh, has the Eden, did Eden, this like object, I guess, that gives her magic powers or something. So um, I'm not really, I don't really want to talk about Binti specifically, but I like that. <laughs> I like the conversation that this opens up because I wanted to ask you, does that sort of thing bother you? Honestly, not really, because like Same. I kind of yeah. always, I, I'll, yeah. I, you know, it's easy to make fun of, but like I kind of always put Very like easy. crazy coincidences and in stories into the into the like category of my mind of like, well, yeah, that's why they wrote a book about this story because crazy things do happen sometimes in real life, and that's the ones that we hear stories written about. So it's easy for me to write off like kind of incredible happenstance like that, or maybe layered blessings or whatever you want to call it, um, just because it's like, well, you know. Yeah, that person was epic like, in their time, and cool they were the ones to write a story yeah. about. Totally, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like statistically likely, actually, over all people of all time, that like a few of them should live incredible lives. You know, seriously, like if you were going to write a book about like uh, Alexander the Great, you know, and if somebody yeah. had never heard of him before, they'd be like, "Man, this guy's like everything happens to this guy." Right, you know? He conquers like, the known well, world yeah. by like twenty seven. No, it like literally happened. You know, so <laughs> like literally, yeah. It's uh, it's not really out of the realm of possibility, but yeah, I do agree with some of some of what you're saying. It gets saying, a little though, cheeky sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just parts where I'm just like, okay, like totally, yep, just because of how fucking cool you are, Vinti. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's kind of like, you know, it's fun to make fun of it. And I think that it's good that we do because it's good to remind ourselves to like stay lighthearted about some of these things because, like, you know, you just can't take some stuff too seriously because it is easy to make fun of and fun to do so, you know, as long as it's not mean spirited. I wanted to ask you, what do you think a master harmonizer is? Because that, much like the astrolathe, was never actually explained to us. I could be. Like, I get it, but I don't. And I want to hear your opinion. Um, okay, I want to start by saying I'm not totally sure. I think maybe a master harmonizer might be somebody, though, that there's two two parts of my answer. Sorry, I know I'm kind of okay. like thinking about it. I think no, a, master good. a master harmonizer is somebody who has an affinity with electronics and or, or means of communication uh, with other species. Because they're living in okay. like this kind of like alien contacted world. And a master harmonizer is somebody who is able to kind of like be more of an empath than other people. But that's like, that was like mine. I don't know. I could be wrong. That was weird. That was like one of the parts I didn't understand. Yeah. No, you're right. And by Mawinyi, who I'm sure I'm butchering that name, but Mawinyi's like master harmonizing ability gave him the ability to communicate with every living creature. So there's definitely like an element of, of harmony of, of like a yeah. vibrational match with the world around sure. them. Yeah. I kind of took it as like someone who is literally able to see mathematical equations and formula, like in the world around them, enabling them to kind of like 
see the oh, building like blocks of life yeah, and then yeah, like hack no, it because there's multiple yeah, times she's she always like, doing math and stuff yeah she like but, yeah, she cool. like pulls up a charge she's like and i played with a charge spark going from finger to finger it's like wait how does you allowing to see math allow you to pull up like frequencies into your body and i think that you know nikola tesla said if you want to understand yeah. the world think in terms of 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 frequency and vibration and so i think she's able to like harmonize with the sure, mathematical equations yeah. that she sees around her somehow and Love that it. gives her uh, insights see then and that's one of the examples that uh, of of just something that it's like we don't need to make this the story a 1200 page epic but it just if we could have dug in just like a little bit because a little I don't, more it's not that yeah I, and we're reading Malazan right now i don't mind mystery and stuff i don't mind like having to put some things not together myself. Things. but then like some stuff is just like we're just not gonna talk about it and not even like, a little okay, that's cool i guess it was it's... that in the astrolabe specifically that she decided to really tell us nothing about and have us only experience the effects of and kind of put it together ourselves i feel like i got the astrolabe more though than the harmonizer thing like i think i was a little bit more on board with that there was definitely some mysterious, more mysterious aspects of the, of the astrolabe that I was like, wait, what? Like, it almost seemed like an organ. To, like, it almost seemed alive, kind of, but not quite. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was some weird things about it, you know? The the Adon thing. I want to talk about that just a little bit. Sure. Because oh, Let's give the Adon as much attention as Nettie Okorvor did, which is okay, not, okay. not a whole bunch of it. but Not a whole lot. Yeah, I was broken for most of it. She was pretty pissed, but not really. <laughs> I, it kind of reminded me of, I don't, have you played Horizon Zero Dawn before? I have not, on, but I've heard a lot about you it. You should play that game. I've, you've probably heard a lot about it from me because it's just such a really good, it's such an amazing game. Uh, but uh, Aloy, the main character, finds like this old piece of technology and um, I can't remember what she calls it, but she puts it in her ear and it, it enables her to kind of like see the world um, in in a more kind of like like scan things. And it's kind of like a, you know, in a lot of new video games, there's like this, there's like always this mechanic Cortana? where you could, uh no not 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 like that um it's like in a lot of video games like in the witcher 3 when you have like your witcher senses you know what i mean like there's just there's like that mechanic but for that game okay but also it allows her to kind of like identify things and and communicate with things in a certain way and that's just kind of like the same vibe and but the cool thing about it is that it's like this remnant of an earlier civilization that nobody really seems to understand very well and so i was reminded of that because i did like that Binti had kind of found this weird thing that nobody really, nobody really seemed to know what it was. Like it, it's not. Well, it was ever a mystery. Yeah, and and it made me think more about like, you know, how far into the future is this? Like, is it far enough? I got a couple thousand years. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured too. Like, like a, what a ways. Like, I didn't know if the fish was a, a human Earth fish that had evolved to travel in space, but kind of got that idea. Uh, also, I wanted to shout out, um, I, I just learned a couple things while I was doing a little bit of research for this book. So the Himba tribe is a real tribe of people in Namibia who do use Ochize, um, like a mixture of clay and some other things. Which I would actually recommend Googling a picture of to get an idea because I had a way muddier thing in my mind. And when oh, I saw no, a picture, like... I was like, oh, that's much better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very cool color, and it very seems cool. to be like used on their skin, but also in their hair to make very kind of like distinct, like thick uh, dreadlocks. I guess, for lack of a better word, right? Because they didn't have water to wash, so it like cleansed them. I think was part of it. And purpose. a lot of other people thought that they were like dirty, but they're not. They're not dirty at all. Like they're very clean because of like totally. the way that they use this stuff. So that's really interesting. Similar to how she thinks that the other people are freaks because they're moving their hands sure. when really it's an advancement, you know? And she felt weird when she hadn't had it on her. 
totally and, uh, and like just taking normal baths with water and stuff uh so there's that that's really cool so there's two things in this book that i found to be actually dumb that i didn't like at all okay and one was the fish relationship didn't like that at all. She was already three other species. We didn't need another cultural yeah, I, divide. I like, I agree. Yeah. We we got it. That you know, by like that point, fits into the didn't... special conversation where it's like, okay, totally. let's just throw it was another way one too special. There, yeah. yeah, she's totally. got a like fish familiar, whatever. Okay, a space, and she can go in space. Okay, we didn't need another thing that she was. <laughs> I just pictured like Binti, like anime style, flying through space. Like, yeah, like, like <laughs> fucking the tentacle hair and just like being all like. I'm here for it. I love it. I mean, whatever. You know, let's let's let our freak freak flags fly, but. The end. So she dies, and then she gets healed, and they take her to the rings of Saturn. Why do they do that? Because she has this like crazy like yeah. vision. I think brought about by her Eden. It's just like a. It was like a phone call from like a really weird alien race, being like, "Hey, we actually just wanted a Google recommendation about the university," and she's like, "Oh, it's super great." And then they're like, "Cool, thanks so much." And yeah. then she flies off, and it's like, "Wait, what the hell was that? That was dumb." Like to be totally honest. Like, did they and... did they set up that situation thousands of years earlier so they could interview her? Like what? Like maybe I think that was where my head was kind of at. Also, uh, I'm gonna disagree with you here, and I don't think that was stupid. I thought it was like pretty wholesome and kind of cool. You know what I mean? It's just it was I wholesome, think, but it was like I think a core for dumb is, like for a recommendation. I think she likes tripping us up a little bit now and then. Like I think yeah, but trip us up on something that you can't just like phone a friend I to do. Cool. I thought it was kind of cool. You know, like this thousand year process of weirdness and like. <laughs> A thousand year process of weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In order to be like, do you like your school? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, I was refreshed that it wasn't just like this other development where like now someone else wants to kill someone else kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, that's, that's what it could have been. And it, she made it clever yeah. because she, the alien race had to make her understand them enough that she could give a recommendation that would be appropriate for their totally. species. Like I get that. That was part of her growth, but it still seemed like a lame reason to like, take over a part of someone and change them forever just so they could kind of understand. So you could like send your kids there or something. Like, I don't really know like why yeah, it, it seems like pretty non-consensual. I don't know. It, seems it seemed weird. like an interest, like a, not interest. It seemed like a weird addition to make to the book. Yeah. Um, or not even, I mean, it's, it's baked in to other parts of the plot and stuff too, obviously, but like, uh, it's just a weird thing to bake into. <laughs> it's it's like, weird. Putting carrots in these cookies. Like that's weird. <laughs> yeah, like I've eaten carrots and I like cookies, but like together, man, like, you just—that's some wisdom, my like friend, dude. Like another... cucumber bread, like what are we doing here? Have you had cucumber uh, water? Okay, so I did—that's I, really refreshing. Cucumber water, man. That's yeah, it's pretty good. But if you get some seeds, it's not great. Okay, so I actually said two two things were really weird and dumb, but there was a third that was very very casual flirted with that i also didn't really like at all which was like a weird through line of people who kept saying that uh akwu was like her husband and then when she first kisses mawinyi akwu's like oh no no they're like cuddling and he puts a hand on her and akwu says like you shouldn't let him touch you like that and then he like mawinyi like gets up and just like makes out with her right in front of him for like a few minutes and i was wondering if like that was akwu kind of <laughs> being a little jealous like this is my partner too, yeah <laughs> yeah and like they're just making out right in front of akwu after he was like hey i'm kind of uncomfortable with you doing that and then, <laughs> and then he was like well here and i don't know there was like this weird like almost like romantic relationship thing floated between Aku and Binti that I just thought was also really weird and I didn't I don't know it think really been, added in a meaningful way to the story maybe like I didn't really get like a like a super kind of like 
It was never sexual, which was no. great. Um, I think maybe it was like a, a lost in alien translation kind of thing where like Aku has okay. like a different. But they were partners. Right. But that's what I'm saying is like maybe like it means I think more Aku than... has a different um, mentality behind uh, certain relationships than a human might. Like he's got like a different perspective. Oh, like they were genderless sure. species and yeah, stuff. Like maybe. Yeah. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily like like unrequited. Love. It's not like like Aku's not Jim from the office kind of thing, you know? I, OK. Like, I don't know. If, <laughs> sure, sure. It's like quite like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Never did I think that he was, but I see the point that you're making. Yeah. Besides those three things, I thought that the story was refreshingly weird and took nice turns where I thought it was going to get bloody and then it didn't. And then I thought it wasn't going to get bloody and then it super did. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. Lots of cool ideas. Only a few things that I was like, mm, what's that? I mean, I'm definitely I want to read some more Nnedi Akor for uh, there's a book called I think it's called Lagoon or something like that. Uh, it's about uh, an alien alien contact. Uh, and I really am a sucker for first contact stories. And so there's like Lagoon. And then, um, I mean, I've read uh, uh, Who Fears Death, which is a fantastic book. It's very intense. Like if it, just if you're if you like Nnedi Okorafor, you like these books, Who Fears Death. Not YA. It's not why It's a lot different than this. So just like okay. look up content. Ooh, I want to read some more yeah, uh, Who Fears Death is a very cool book. I haven't read very much that's quite like it at all. Is it a full novel? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it's awesome. I think there's a sequel to it. I've heard a lot of good about Akata Witch. That's her uh, kind of like uh, YA trilogy, I believe. There's like Akata Witch, Akata Warrior, okay. Akata Queen or something like that. Um, I have the first two. Something like that here like apparently she just keeps writing bangers like i haven't seen really anything that's like nope this one was a miss like this one sucks i mean she won her writing flows yeah it does damn yeah daw picks up some really really good authors i mean they got patrick rothfuss they got some winners so another thing that i thought was like a little okay not even a little a lot i needed more about was deep culture she just summons up this thing this like song that that makes everyone peaceful yeah. and then everyone's at peace now and it's just like this thing that i guess is a thing now that she has the ability to do that she can summon up and peace happens for sure always all the time peace. yeah i'm not really sure what that was deep culture it's like the most rawest form of culture i think also i mean like we're coming at this story uh as two white american guys in their 30s you know what i mean like i think that maybe there's just some pieces where we might be missing um with regard to like some african culture and just some like things totally. you know what i mean like when, i think that is kind of like a a very white elephant in the room like reading like talking about these books is like there's just some stuff we're not we're not gonna pick up on it's like um totally. it's like reading or it's like not designed to know the deep culture but it's like uh you know if you're watching like a hayao miyazaki like a studio ghibli movie there's japanese folklore that's like baked into some of those movies and so you as like a, an American, you're like watching it, you're enjoying the hell out of it. But then like something happens, and you're like, why the f did that happen? You know, and then if you like look it up, it's right. just like, oh, that's based on like this other like cool Japanese thing. They're like, right, it's like a cultural thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I feel like that happened. That might have probably happened with the um, a couple different things in this book where we were just kind of like, why the hell did that happen? And it's like actually like a like a Himba thing or a... I don't disagree. It just felt like a cop out because it was used to like solve a <laughs> yeah, major sure. problem sure, that immediately yeah. got unsolved, you know? So it was just like, okay, cool. Like this thing didn't invent. It seems like you just made up this thing real fast to like make your this thing other thing happen in your story, though. I think you're right at the root of it. I'm probably misunderstanding the cultural thing. So like, let's fast forward a few paragraphs past the point that she summons up deep culture and, and it makes peace happen. Then all of a sudden, like peace is great. 
we're about to leave. We're good. And then all of a sudden they start fighting and peace is not happening. And she's like in parts. Wasn't it because she had stopped doing the depulser thing? Like, wasn't it only I don't know. She just like stopped. And then everyone was like, we're good. We accept peace. We accept peace. And then they're leaving. And then someone shoots like a round or something. And someone blows up and then just all hell breaks loose. I I chalk that up to like her just not being there to influence the situation anymore. Or like, not, oh, it happened right in front right, of her. But not, I mean, she I just meant, got like, done her, with her intention to leave the situation. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like she she wasn't doing the deculture thing anymore. Uh, in my mind, I was oh. like, I was like, she needs to be around doing this like for longer than she had done it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, it's I'm, like a, once you stop, they just I don't know, I'm like, totally back to chilling. Yeah, yeah, because she does just get. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It seemed like she had solved the problem, but then it was immediately unsolved, and so I was very like, confused. Like I'm, I'm, I read it a few times and I was like, wait, okay, so she just solved the problem and then they're now they're just attacking each other. Went back and reread the book, uh, reread this part of the book a few times to see what I was missing. And it literally goes from like, yay, I did it. I summoned up deep culture and I've pieced this situation up. Everyone's like, yep, we agree with peace. We agree with peace. Everyone's like, peace, peace, peace. And then super opposite of peace, shots fired and Binti just comes apart literally at the seams. And... All hell breaks loose. Perhaps it's like, you know, I mean, if if you truly have to keep deep culture going in order to keep peace going, then it doesn't seem like a very, like, tenable or good solution for peace, right? Because, like, it's going to require, like, it, you can't constantly be singing the song of deep culture or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it was really sudden and, and weird. And maybe the commentary there is, like, you can't fix two other cultures cultural differences with a third culture that neither of them like understands perhaps she was trying to use her own culture and it was like no it's like the whole point is like you have to speak in their language or something or perhaps their um hatred towards each other was like more was had more depth than just like her involvement or something and and wasn't going to be fixed with just uh just a couple couple conversations or something i don't really know what the what was going on there if you know go into the discord if you're not in the discord already you should be what are you doing the best group of bookish souls on the internet go there right now say hello make friends and if you know why that happened in the book that way please let me know because i would love to have a greater understanding as to the kind of like weird and sudden twist there at the end of we've solved and yet we did not super did not solve this problem uh and what exactly i'm missing so please let me know if you know i think that's all i got everyone what about you that's basically everything i wanted to go over about this except for this one thing i thought this was really cool nitty okorafor apparently coined the term african futurism which i guess is different than, yeah. than afrofuturism so there's two different things so uh according to this quick uh, definition i found on on wikipedia uh Okorfor said that uh, africa african futurism is quote centered in and about africa and their people while afrofuturism is a sci-fi subcategory which is about quote black people within the diaspora often including stories of those outside africa including colonized western societies so it seems like afrofuturism is kind of like you know more uh, western style stuff or western influence more and then african futurism is much more centered in africa the continent which is interesting i'd like to read more of both absolutely though yeah i really find that sort of like different starting point for the story to have a really cool and refreshing take and then like the fish we get like kind of the what we think as the future technology is a little bit different than another culture might sure, imagine the future absolutely. technology to look like so it was a cool lens to kind of see that future take through you know i really enjoyed that and it's really evident in her writing and so there's like a um i don't know i hate to sound super 
not world traveled when I say exotic kind of undertone to it you know I don't know I feel like that's a pretty fair thing to say when you're not super well world traveled yeah. I mean this is a this is a way to get a little more world traveled and I think that uh, on BRK and just in my uh, personal reading life in general just like you know diversifying and just really remembering how much of the stories that we've been reading and what we do read and what we trend and tend to read is very western focused and you know it's not a horrible thing i like reading western focused stuff but including uh, african stories south american stories uh like eastern european stuff asian stuff all that stuff is i mean man it's just so awesome to read about other cultures and there it's just like to your point about you know the fish ship and and just kind of like seeing the, the the little bit different like okay well what about this and what about this and uh it's totally. not so some unique ideas yeah, it's really awesome to read man uh they've got some i've got some stuff here that i really want to get to as we wrap up here my final question to you was did you find it a little odd that binti at the end decided to not let her family know that she was alive like she's coming off the raw emotional grief of what it feels like to lose their family yeah. and then she decides to like let her family go through that longer like it seemed weird i think it's implied that like they'll figure it out yeah, like, I don't think we need it. I think that's it seems weird that she made the conscious decision to keep them in ignorance. Yeah, though, you know? I think a lot of our questions about this, like, um, but while your question is valid, I think a lot of our questions about this are just kind of like a result of a core four just kind of like sticking to like, you know, the meat of this story. There was a certain sense of freedom. She no sure. doubt felt. And, right? and, uh, I mean, like having her family not even know. Yeah, maybe she's not going to say shit to her family. Like they were kind of assholes to her. Yeah, like, little, were, like two years past. Like, they're going to be. Pissed. I mean, they were kind of mean to her. They were like, I mean, not all of them. Yeah. Like, uh, not all of them. I, I should say that, obviously. But like, didn't somebody like spit in her face or something? Yeah, no. She gets like, I think, um, <laughs> like her I sister. think when she like, no, no, Binti spits in her sister's face. I think. Oh, yeah, Wait. yeah. I think she I mean, spits in her just sister's face. Because her sister it. says something like, "You'll never find a husband" or something. Because basically, you're like, you're an off-world little um, harlot, <laughs> and uh, you'll never find a man, uh, you know, and nor do you deserve one sort of thing. It was like kind of worth the spit. Like she, her sister kind of had it coming, honestly. <laughs> no, dude, never spit at anybody's face. How about, how about I mean, just, they call you like never, an off world. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You should not spit at anyone. <laughs> I don't care what universe you're from. Don't spit in anybody's face. Unless you murder 500 children, then I'm spitting all day. <laughs> unless, you know, unless it's consensual, do whatever you want. Sure. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good, don't think me approved. Not on my podcast. <laughs> That's a good asterisk to add. I'm glad you you added that. Oh my god, I think we need to be done. I think we should probably wrap up. We've really gotten to the dregs of the story, and I don't think any commentary further will uh, aid no. in our audience thinking that we have a good understanding of the story. Absolutely. Okay, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. What a fun, awesome story that was. Uh, looking forward to reading some more Nidia for Man, yeah, that was cool. What a ride. What a, what a... Love the format. Love the format. Yeah, more novella series, please. please. I'm into it. I really, really like it. Me too. I'm really into okay. it. Yeah, but keep it punchy. Keep it punchy, yeah. Keep it punchy boring, and fast. Boring novellas. Come on, we have enough boring regular size no, books. hell no. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Look out for many more episodes to come. I hope you have an excellent rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.